This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. Long-term care in Ontario and the deadly trajectory it's on during the second wave of COVID-19 has become all-consuming when the Zoomer squad joins Libby on Mondays. When they got together this past Monday, we had just learned that seven residents of Rockcliffe Care Community in Scarborough had died after contracting COVID-19, while 136 other residents and 66 staff members had tested positive for the virus. Rockcliffe Care is owned by Sienna Senior Living, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because Sienna owns five of the 20 hardest-hit homes during the first wave of the virus and the highest number of related deaths. Three of these nursing homes have been taken over by the provincial government, and Siena is the subject of three class action lawsuits. This is the backdrop to an ongoing campaign by CARP, a new vision of aging, calling for Premier Doug Ford to fire his long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton, for her failing to protect residents in long-term care against a second wave of COVID-19. With their reaction to the latest dire news in LTC and see how the new CARP campaign is going, Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP. We shouldn't even have to have this campaign. Uh, we have over 800 signatures to the petition already. It has only been going uh, a few few days. Uh, we're getting literally scores and scores of very strong comments, both on the petition and on our uh, Facebook uh, page. And uh, we're getting everything that uh, I guess we hoped we would get, except no reaction from the government at all. David, we knew this was coming. We heard the Premier so many times and speaking from the heart. He was going to do everything. And now it's uh, it's back. It's deja vu all over again. I think the Premier has been uh, trapped, uh, if I may say so, between two worlds, one which is quite reasonable and one which is... uh, uh, a kind of emergency situation that hasn't been responded to that way. So when the, if you can remind our listeners and our own team here, because we've talked about it every week, when this first hit, we said, oh my God, this has revealed years of neglect predating Ford. The homes were in no position to deal with this. There were staff levels. The inspections were loose. There's all kinds of problems. And those problems will require time and money to fix. So nobody was saying you can wave your magic wand and create a couple hundred new buildings or refurbish the buildings that are there. Everything took time. And those plans are quite reasonable. And they've been announced and they're all, they all make sense. The trouble is the house is on fire and we need band-aids. We need emergency action that might not be sustainable and might not be typical of what the long-term solution would be. Uh, by contrast, in Quebec last summer, the premier 
faced with the scandalous, even much worse than Ontario, uh, outbreaks in their homes, um, launched an emergency plan to hire 10,000 workers. It was going to be a crash course, I think 60 or 90 days of training. They had 55,000 applicants for those positions. So they were taking some unusual steps uh, in the face of a horrendous, equally horrendous record in their own province. And we've seen no equivalent here. And I think that's where the problem is. Peter, what do you think? Well, you know, Livy, I think the key uh, with the Quebec strategy, which you mentioned, is money. You know, they, they're paying for the training and they're offering more money, and that will turn out bodies. You know, um, just saying, um, you know, we we support our frontline workers and sort of hoping that they'll people will respond out of sense of duty. It's probably not going to happen unless you put some money on the table. And um, I, you know, they, there is money on the table, but I, I don't know what it's being used for right now. Uh, it, it seems to be more long-term rather than short-term emergency hiring. Just to end on a hopeful note, the, the second uh, vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, um, is showing promise in testing. So perhaps, you know, uh, you know, with all the doom and gloom, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll be saved by either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. And we can we can sort our way out of it with through uh, treatment rather than through shutdown. I would ask your listeners if they agree with the concern that we've expressed today to go to carp.ca, sign the p- petition, give us your thoughts uh, in the in the notes on how you're finding it's going. And let's make sure that we let the government know that we're not happy and something has to be done now. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media. Fight Back's Monday, Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. As we grapple with a huge spike of COVID-19 infections across most of Canada, a group of health experts and epidemiologists is pushing for Canada to implement a strategy they are calling COVID-0. These doctors say short-term lockdowns won't be enough and will just prolong the agony and economic devastation. Dr. Andrew Morris is an infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto and is leading the COVID-0 campaign. He joined Libby on Monday to discuss. This is a, a collection of colleagues like-minded who um, have, I think, really been uh, disappointed with um, our provincial and national responses across the country especially in Ontario, but elsewhere, and recognize that it's not only doomed for failure, and we're seeing that right now here, but it will fail for the next wave as well, unless we do something differently. And really now is the time to to do something differently. And we have examples from around the world on how to do it. What's your favorite example? I think my favorite example is Australia. Um, but it's uh, very close with Atlantic Canada. I, I don't think Atlantic Canada had to deal with the large numbers and other challenges that Australia had to do with. That's why Australia is my favorite. But, you know, Australia had hundreds and hundreds of cases uh, in their fall and moving into their winter. And they imposed a, a, pr- a harsher lockdown than I think I would want to see. They, they went, uh, I'd say, whole hog to drive their cases down. But the key is, 
They drive their cases really low. And now they're enjoying the fruits of their labor and are enjoying, you know, a pretty free life. It's not totally free, but, um, you know, they are back to pretty close to normal. So we had a pretty harsh lockdown in the spring, and then we had uh, a almost normal summer. Would you agree with that assessment? I would say that we lived a pretty normal summer, but there were a lot of cases going on, largely undetected. But we know that there were circulating cases, and despite that, we didn't react to it. So I, I would say that's the difference, right? I would love to have an, another summer like we have, but I'd really like to have our uh, a large part of our winter and especially our spring like that as well. And I fear we're not going to be able to do that because of the number of cases. Toronto Public Health stepped in and put in some measures that were stronger than what the province mandated. How is what you're suggesting different than what we have now? So I, I think one of the things is, I think there's a fair amount of confusion yeah. um, at, at present in terms of what is expected. I know you're, you are correct in some ways that some of the messaging from Toronto Public Health and even from the Premier has been to really not do anything other than your essential activities. But on the other hand, we do have uh, throughout the GTA uh, places where there's even indoor dining. Um, there are, you know, many discretionary services. Uh, we have a, a lot of places where people may congregate that aren't part of uh, school grocery shopping or, you know, essential workplaces. And, you know, we are telling people not to do that, but on the other hand, they're open. It really makes it difficult for people to understand. Timeline, how long do you think we would need? I know it's to reach the benchmarks, but how long would this have to last to be effective in your view? Yeah, I think it varies, right? And if you break it down by regions, you can get those numbers down, but you want to get in every jurisdiction where you're getting control, you want to get your numbers under 10. Um, and for, for some of those... Uh, for places, Toronto, for instance? Yeah, you'd want it down to 10. So if you've got, what, six or 700 cases a day, you have it, you're going to... We're talking, you know, 12, 16 weeks, probably around 12 weeks, but it's really going to vary, and it really depends on what measures you put in place. Dr. Andrew Morris, Infectious Diseases Specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, what is the best approach to bringing down the daily COVID-19 numbers in Ontario? We will discuss coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. At the beginning of the week, there seemed to be a growing divide between members of the medical community who are advocating aggressive measures to stop the spread of the virus and the governing PCs at Queen's Park who have been looking at a more balanced approach. The Toronto Star, for instance, is characterizing it as a split between the city and the province with the city winning. What is the best approach as daily COVID-19 cases in Ontario continue to soar well above 1,000? And will the Ford Tories start wearing the current failure to control the pandemic in long-term care homes 
after hearing their heartfelt anguish all spring about how they would spare no expense to protect Ontario nursing home residents going forward. Libby Snymer asked these questions of our Tuesday strategy panel. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. There's no question that this is um, a difficult, I, I would say one of the most difficult situations for the government to have to deal with. Uh, because it's compounded by the fact that families have actually had the most serious restrictions on seeing their loved ones. And so it's not, you you can talk about community spread and how the community spread is impacting workers that work in long-term care facilities and how that spread is coming back into those sectors, but it's hard for families to to understand what's happening because the the restrictions that have been placed on visits have been so, uh, so restrictive. And, and yet now to see this unfolding is, is frustrating in a way that, um, is, is, is going to compound the problems of the government. And, you know, the fact is that they, you know, they had a study, they did it, they didn't do, um, you know, they didn't implement the recommendations that were brought forward to them. Now there's a situation where, again, how, how are you, how are they going to contain this in the nursing homes when they know in the long-term care facilities, when they know that it's so deadly? And, you know, at some point, there's a question, are the procedures being followed within those places or are they not? And if they're not, well, what is the consequence? And if they are, well, then those protocols aren't adequate and they need to be added to. But it, it, it is, I think, one of, one of the more of, of the issues facing the government. This is one that, that has the most potential to, to be um, damaging for them. John, are are they getting this wrong? This is a systemic problem that has happened for a long time. So, yeah, it's, it's one thing to be able to say, look, this has been going on for a number of years. It's only been exasperated, you know, by virtue of the pandemic, which, you know, obviously has caused a number of issues. And the government has tried to deal with it on a time by on a day by day basis. That that involves, you know, a lot of a lot of money, which the government is prepared to, to spend and has been spending and continues to spend. But it is, it's, a, it's a challenging issue. There's no question the minister is facing some daily challenges with this. Uh, as is the government. But I think, Libby, at the end of the day, they are trying to do what they can with what they have. And they, you can't just turn on a dime uh, on a system that has been broken for the last 20-plus years because governments of the past have not given. And I, you know, and I say this for the last you know, couple of decades. They've never given this particular portfolio or this ministry the attention and the power that it deserves. And I think if there's a silver, if there's a silver lining uh, I think going forward, this this issue of long term care uh, is going to be is going to be elevated to the highest levels of of cabinet uh, uh, importance. Uh, Charles, do you buy that? Are people still buying that argument that this is just left from the Liberal government? No, um, in fact, I mean coffins don't come with silver lining. That's that's the reality of the situation. And this government has had um, since March to not think about the long term, but to play a short term game in terms of protecting lives now. And, you know, I can I can see it in the premier just how frustrated he's been with regards to tracing and testing and with regards to the provision of care and long term care homes. But the reality is, no matter how empathetic he might be, um, the buck stops with him. And the fact that privately run long-term care facilities are being provided the kind of protections 
that they are in the midst of a pandemic is really worrisome. We obviously are in the midst of a nightmare that we have to get through, and I remain convinced that different levels of government, medical professionals, all citizens have to do what's asked of them to make sure we get through this with a minimal loss of life and a minimal economic impact. But there's no doubt this government could have done better, a lot better. And I I keep coming back to ideology. I keep coming back to the notion that they're really interested in not spending what they have to spend in order to protect people and really thinking more about the economy than than the health of Ontarians. And, And that's obviously very worrisome because what is coming is far worse than anything we've seen. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Fightback's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is the best of Fightback on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It is the fourth leading cause of early death in Canada, chronic obstructive lung disease, or COPD. 1.5 million Canadians are currently living with COPD, and another 1.5 million Canadians are undiagnosed. The disease is especially prevalent among younger Canadian Zoomers. One in seven Canadians between the ages of 45 and 49 may have COPD. Wednesday was World COPD Day, organized by the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease in collaboration with healthcare professionals and COPD patient groups around the world. Henry Roberts is Managing Director of COPD Canada and joined Libby to talk about the infliction, how to prevent it, and how to live with it. COPD is fairly well known, but COPD is an acronym for Chronic Obstructive pulmonary disease that includes three types of diseases that affect the lung, the, the, the lungs. The first is chronic bronchitis, the second is emphysema, and a third uh, less known condition is called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Mm-hmm. So uh, within, the, within these three categories, emphysema is the largest and uh, it's the most destructive. Uh, the lungs, your lung, your alveoli, the air sacs in your lungs lose elasticity, and there's a destruction of of the sacs. Chronic bronchitis is a serious inflammation of the bronchial tubes, and people with that condition uh, uh, have a lot of uh, heavy mucus and phlegm that's coughed up. And alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which only affects about 5% of the COPD population. It's it's a genetic uh, disease where um, the liver produces a protein called alpha-1 antitrypsin, and the people lack that protein, or it's it's in a very large or small amount, and it causes uh, early onset uh, emphysema. How does this impede? I mean, uh, are there different stages like um, moderate COPD or is is it a disease that uh, or a series of diseases that progresses? Yeah, it does progress. Unfortunately, there's no cure for COPD. Uh, there are four stages of COPD going from mild to to extreme and you you lose the ability to exhale as you move through these stages and the Stage three and four are usually uh, underscored uh, through lung attacks, exacerbations. 
which cause a further destruction of the uh, aerostats and the elasticity. So it's pretty serious, uh, pretty serious condition. And the primary cause is, uh, is tobacco smoke, is smoking. Yeah, uh, that's not a, a, a surprise. And is there a normal time period that uh, it, it goes through from mild to severe? Um, well, I, it's around about, it's about a decade. Uh, I, I, I kind of look to the founder of COPD Canada, Mary Layton, who was diagnosed uh, and then went through the stages and uh, passed 13 years later. Henry, we only have a few minutes left. I know the theme of this year's World COPD Day is living well with it. So what is your advice to people? Well, my advice is if you smoke, quit smoking, if you can get access to a pulmonary rehab facility or a kinesiologist specializes in uh, pulmonary uh, exercises, definitely take advantage of that. We are working with a group out of McGill University, Respi Plus, and we've just finished a study to see what kind of interest there'd be in online pulmonary rehab because all the rehab places are shut down because of COVID. So we just got the results of that study and we'll be publishing that. So I highly recommend people go to our website, www.copdcanada.info. It's .info. That's very important. And we will be updating access to exercise and, you know, these these services that are coming online to replace the uh, in-person services that are very important to people with COPD. Get your exercise for sure and quit smoking if you're a smoker. What would you like to leave us with? Well, I'd like to leave people with hope that if you, if you catch this uh, disease early enough, there are a lot of interventions that can help you live, uh, you know, a long and um, good life. Henry Roberts is Managing Director of COPD Canada. He was in conversation with Libby on Wednesday, World COPD Day. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Kevin in Toronto phoned in on World COPD Day to talk about his grandfather. I'm hearing that you're talking about the COPD today, and it kind of touched home. My grandfather had it. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, Sorry but I was really, really close with him. I didn't really understand what it was, but he was a very fit guy, and, and the exercise did help him a lot. But yeah, exactly what they're saying about coughing up big bouts of phlegm. Uh, he was really winded all the time, even though he was like a fit guy, very, very winded. It was very um, scary sometimes to see him wheezing and seeing him kind of try to make a joke out of it. But I could tell he was struggling, even though he's a fit guy and he would swim 200 laps a day. It really, really affected him. So, you know, he was a smoker before he stopped. And I think he says that kind of played a role. I don't know if that does or not, uh, smoking, if that does. Obviously, it, it inflames yeah. it, but it, I didn't know if it makes it. Is that something that you can get it from? Absolutely. Okay, so that's uh, 
he always said he regrets doing that and never to smoke or else he'd uh, come after me. <laughs> and now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Barry in North York, who phoned with some timely advice for all of us. I go every year to visit my family in London at Christmas, um, and there's no way I'm taking a bus going up there. They realize that, and they're willing to come down and pick me up. But I was just talking to a friend the other day and said, well, the case is going up in Ontario. It's just ridiculous. So I'm even thinking of saying, no, I'm sorry. I, I, we'll do a Zoom Christmas. I just I just don't feel right, even though London doesn't have a lot of cases, but don't need one to get it. And I'd like to be around for other Christmases. And we can do this. We can sacrifice now in order so that we can celebrate properly and everybody will be around to celebrate properly next year. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and have your say anytime on our Fightback voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.